Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Sir, there is something personal that's affecting you. Your son, while there's no ties to you, could be charged by your Department of Justice. How will that impact your presidency? First of all, my son has done nothing wrong. I trust him. I have faith in him. And it impacts my presidency by making me feel proud of him. Hunter Biden has, well, he's expected to, or has, pled guilty to two minor tax crimes. Two misdemeanors, but he's also going to plead guilty to a felony gun charge. This to end the DOJ investigation. And one wonders whether or not this is a deal that's supposed to be taken at all. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Let me bring in William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. You have the story, of course, Hunter Biden pleading guilty to firearm felony tax misdemeanors. What are uh, the, well, really, what were the charges? What is he pleading guilty to? And should this end any other investigation into him? Well, you know, these have just been announced. So, you know, I've seen them. I can't tell you the statutory details of them, but as described, it's misdemeanors for tax taxes, and it is a felony for the gun possession, uh, but sounds like he's going to be entering into a diversion program. So the likelihood is he'll never see a jail cell. Uh, so, This thing is a complete whitewash. I have no hesitation in saying that. Put Trump after his name and he'd be going away for years. He would never have been uh, treated so leniently. Uh, Make him a Republican and he would not have been treated so leniently. Uh, You know, these are, you know, gun felonies. The son of a president who supposedly wants to crack down on illegal possession of guns. Um, And there's I don't think this addresses the issue that he falsely filed, um, you know, uh, various uh, form, federal forms uh, with regard to gun possession. So, you know, at least at first glance, based on what's been reported, you know, an hour ago, it appears that they have cut him a favor and the FBI and the DOJ want to put this behind them. The idea that they're able to just put it behind them, this 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 conversation that you bring up and and I do agree with if Trump was the name, if Republican was after the name, you you know, and I know we all know all part of this program uh, that it would be uh, a much more aggressive uh, offense. The conversation of two-tier justice now comes back into play and you have people like uh, Dana Bash over there at CNN who want to claim that there is no two-tier justice system. As a matter of fact, there is no proof of a two-tier justice system. How dare you uh, make that statement at all? Based on what you just said, sir, this certainly seems like what people are discussing when they say two-tier justice. You think they're right in making that assessment? Well, if the Department of Justice wants to continue to destroy any trust that people have in it, uh, this is a good way to go about it. It's to, you know, uh, file indictments against Donald Trump when there's no evidence of actual harm to national security. It's that he allegedly didn't comply with the regulations, that he put things at risk 
but they don't allege any actual harm to national security and to go after him with the full weight of the federal government. Yet Hunter Biden, who committed felonies with regard to gun possession and, uh, you know, for a, a federal government that supposedly wants to crack down with that is treated with kid gloves. So, I mean, this is this is a prime example. So I think that, you know, the, the Department of Justice is slowly but surely destroying any trust that at least half the population have in the federal, uh, you know, uh, government's prosecutorial uh, powers. And this is just another example. Maybe it's not even the most important example, but it's just another example of why half the population doesn't think they're going to get a fair shake from the Department of Justice. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Uh, and, of course, this is th- this idea of the controversy is being discussed. This was Catherine Herridge over at CBS, and I have long been a fan of Catherine Herridge. I thought when she left Fox, it was a huge blow to Fox's uh, journalistic uh, opportunities because she is just as good as they come. Listen. I can tell you, having covered this for several years now, that this is likely to be a very controversial plea agreement, especially with Republicans on Capitol Hill. Over the last few years, not only in the House, but in the Senate, their investigators have raised very serious questions about these business deals with Chinese nationals, as well as this Ukraine energy firm, Burisma. And then more recently, we've had whistleblowers come forward. An IRS whistleblower spoke on the record with CBS News, as well as whistleblowers from the Justice Department have gone to Capitol Hill complaining that this investigation has been slow walked and that standard investigative procedures have not been followed. So this may just be the beginning of the story in many respects. I can tell you now she she brings up an extremely good point, sir, that people are going to ask, well, wait a second, if he gets to go into a diversion program for a felony that would put you and I in jail, lying about being a drug user on a government forum to purchase a firearm. And you're correct. And I think it's important to remember what it is that President Biden has said about guns and these misdemeanors on tax charges that maybe for a Republican would be seen as a felony. This is now going to lead people into, so wait a second, what happens to the laptop and the Burisma deal and the China deals and the... Does this all go away? Is this plea agreement, sir, something that makes the other stuff disappear, or is that in its own separate world? Well, logically, it's in its own separate world. They're, they're separate events. But I think politically and from what we all have observed, this has every appearance at this moment in time of being part of a you know legal whitewash by the Department of Justice. Get Hunter Biden out of the way. Uh, Say you've held him accountable when we all know you haven't, at least not as accountable as he would have been if it was, you know, Donald Trump Jr. uh, who did these things. And so I think that we suspect strongly that that the motivation of the Department of Justice is to get rid of the Hunter Biden problem. Uh, Nothing that they've done so far, certainly in the last two years or beyond, uh, gives us faith that they will treat this the same way they would have treated it had it been the son of a prominent Republican politician. Can we get into the concept of what a prosecutorial discretion is, how it how it works and, and how you've how you in, in, in your legal career have, have seen that applied? Well, I think, you know, maybe a simple, maybe an overly simple example would be speeding. 
uh, the government doesn't have the resources to prosecute, stop and pull over and issue a ticket to every person who exceeds the speed limit. They just don't have the resources. So they tend to only prosecute the more serious people who are speeding. And whether it's true or not, kind of the prevailing wisdom is that as long as you're under 10 to 10 miles an hour, you know, uh, above the speed limit, you're not going to get pulled over. So if you're in a 55 zone and you're going 62, very unlikely you'll be pulled over. But if you're going 72, that's a different story. That's prosecutorial. That's also police discretion that you can't prosecute everything. So you have to make choices. And typically those choices would be that you only prosecute the more serious offenses. Um, But, uh, and that's prosecutorial discretion. Uh, And so But the question becomes, it's not prosecutorial discretion. If you treat two people who are both going 20 miles over the speed limit differently based on their politics. And that's what everybody suspects is going on here. It's that the discretion is not how serious a crime has to be before you prosecute it. It's that even for equally serious crimes, different people are being treated differently based on the politics of it. So now if I were to to put this into the Trump-Biden parlance here, Alvin Bragg, the Manhattan District Attorney, takes a look at some payments made to Stormy Daniels via Michael Cohen. Something that is a clerical error. It should have been account number one. It came from account number two or got categorized in account number two. And it should have been account number one. It isn't a felony unless you desperately want it. And Alvin Bragg decides that's a felony. But what is a felony, which is falsifying this form, lying on this form, that can be pled out to an intervention, a diversion, whatever the the terminology was, and no jail time. That's the, the prosecutorial discretion we're looking at here. And this is exactly that two-tiered system that if it was done the other way, if, if Trump had uh, falsified a form and if, uh, Hunter Biden had paid one of his many uh, consorts from uh, account one instead of account two. He would never have been charged with a felony and Trump would have been charged and pushed. They would have pushed for jail time. Yeah, I mean, that that's unfortunately the Department of Justice has lost the uh, presumption of neutrality when it comes to these things. You know, we've seen it over many years. Um, and that's unfortunate because obviously the Department of Justice, the FBI, can and should serve an important role in protecting citizens of this country and protecting our society from people who really do mean it harm. So these are extremely important agencies, and, but they've become so politicized. I mean, what could be worse than you know James Comey, the then director of the FBI? engaging in what amounted to a sting operation himself personally to set up Donald Trump his first or second day in office by making a visit to the White House so that the uh, the Steele report could be leaked to CNN. I mean, that is the head of the FBI at the time. I mean, this is so terrible what they have become. And they have no one to blame but themselves and all of the anger about this disparate treatment of people, the politicization of the DOJ, they have really no one to blame but themselves for it. And there's no end in sight. And I think this Hunter Biden whitewash is just another example of it and another reason why people no longer have faith in our federal prosecutors. 
William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. There's more to get to. I'm Tony Katz. I wanted, if you'll forgive me, I wanted to follow up on that William Jacobson conversation and this concept of the two-tiered system. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's always a pleasure, guys. To be able to do this, absolutely spectacular. 833-GOT-TONY is the number. 833-468-8669. I found it irresponsible. Irresponsible of Dana Bash at CNN to make the statement that somehow this is not two-tiered justice that in the Alvin Bragg case, as we were discussing with, with Professor Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, mind behind legalinsurrection.com, Trump through Michael Cohen paying Stormy Daniels from account A when it should have been account B, that's not a felony. He decided it's a felony. Biden... Hunter Biden lies on a federal form to get a gun, which we're supposed to be opposed to, or at least Biden is. He gets a diversion class and it's going to be over. This was Dana Bash. I th- maybe she goes by Dana Bash. I don't want to get her name uh, wrong uh, or, or pronounce it wrong. Listen. I have a feeling I'm about to be siding with dad instead of mom here, but no, <laughs> I do not think that this settles the political case. I, I agree with, with David that this just heightens and accentuates what Republicans believe that they can do on the raw politics of this, because this is not happening in a vacuum. This is happening uh, up against what we saw last week uh, with the former president. They could not be more different for reasons that we don't have even to, to, with the 24-hour news network uh, to explain, but they are very, very different. What is the same is that the Republican response, the Republican, those who uh, feel the need to or the desire to defend Donald Trump uh, are making the same arguments that they are making uh, against Hunter Biden, which is allegations that the DOJ is, that there are two tiers of justice and that the, that one is for Democrats, the other is Republicans. We can't say this enough. There is no evidence to prove that at all. Except for everything we see. How dare you? How dare you make that statement? The response is the same because it is necessary because the situation is, even if the cases are different. I don't compare uh, Hunter Biden lying on uh, Form 4473, lying to get a firearm. I'm not comparing that to the allegations you've made or the DOJ has made against President Trump regarding classified documents. I am making the case, just like rational Americans are all across the country, you are. That if you decide that what Trump did was a crime, but you decide what Hillary did, no reasonable prosecutor would engage, which is what James Comey, then FBI director, said, that's two tears. It is. If Trump paying somebody from account A when he should have paid from account B is a felony, but filling out a form purposefully looking to deceive the federal government... 
can be wiped away with a bit of diversion and no jail time that no Republican would ever get the opportunity to get. That's the two-tier. Who the hell are you talking to? And this is why people hate media, and this is what CNN cannot begin to understand or comprehend. You're asking us to utilize as the baseline for these conversations trust in the DOJ, and you don't understand that the DOJ can't be trusted. No, wait, maybe you can. What you want to tell us is, don't you pay attention to the fact that the DOJ can't be trusted. We told you it can be. As a matter of fact, we don't even have the time here in a 24-hour news network to explain to you all the differences. You should just trust us. We should just trust you. That's what we should do? We should just comply. What's best is you comply. Compliance will be rewarded. Are you ready to comply? You want to talk about the real obscenity here. It is what Dana Bash, I think it's pronounced Dana, what she just put forth. What she just told you is don't believe your lying eyes but you saw it play out. You see it happening in front of you. And CNN just said, hey, how about we gaslight today and say, nah, you didn't see that. You didn't see that, but you did. I did. I don't like the fact that Trump had classified documents around. I'm pissed about it. You don't you like it, you don't like it, you agree, you disagree, that's cool. It's gross. And the documents weren't all behind a locked door, and I'm angry about it. I'm equally angry about Joe Biden having documents all around in his unlocked garage where his drug-addled lying son with connections to Ukraine and China had access to it. You better believe I'm pissed. I don't know about you. Maybe you see it differently. Maybe you're with me. But if Trump gets charged and Biden doesn't because, well, they gave it back. Well, he was, he, 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 he uh, was cooperating with, with uh, the, the, the archives. What was he doing before he was cooperating? I don't have a prosecutorial bone in my body. I have no detective work skills whatsoever. Do you know how easy it was to come up with that one? You mean when they were discovered, he was cooperating? When the documents were discovered, what was he doing before? Who had access to them before? Oh, that's right. We don't know because the Secret Service somehow wasn't keeping a record of who was visiting Biden at his beach house. The the two-tiered justice conversation is not crazy that's what they've created that's what they have done to us that's what they perpetrated on us and now they want to tell you over at cnn a a, a compliance complicit partner don't you pay attention to that. As a matter of fact, paying attention to that is only proof uh, uh, that you're part of... I mean, you might as well be QAnon. You are not conspiratorial. You can see. 
And this problem doesn't get better until we make it get better. This is Tony Katz today. I could not more perfectly explain the elitism of San Francisco, the disconnect between what it is that's happening on the streets, things that you and I talk about that, of course, uh, people, and and it, it has broken down politically. People on the political right see and discuss, and people on the political left want to act like everything is fine. Nothing is fine in San Francisco. Nothing is fine in California. It doesn't matter what Gavin Newsom says. Nothing is fine. But I could think of nothing more really appropriate to explain this disconnect than when I saw that Joe Biden was heading to San Francisco to have four fundraisers. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. So good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. Four? Four fundraisers. Now, in the second half of June, there are 20 fundraisers that are scheduled with him, Vice President Kamala Harris, the First Lady, Joe Biden, the Second Gentleman, Douglas Emhoff. Makes perfect sense. Running for president, you have fundraisers. I'm not saying no to that. The idea of four fundraisers in San Francisco. Joe Biden is going to show up as the leader of the Democratic Party in a state that has been anti-police and defund the police, in a city that has been anti-police and defund the police, now having a mayor in London breed, realizing that all that defund crap doesn't work and they're going to have to do something about it. And it's only going to upset progressives because, oh, you're going to engage more policing. That means you're going to arrest more black people. You racist London breed. She's she's black. And she's going to be like, I'm sorry, you talking to me? And they're going to be like, well, you're not really black because you're arresting black people and you're just disgusting. Joe Biden leads this party. A party that has destroyed San Francisco. Human feces on the ground. People who leave their trunks open on their cars at night so they don't get broken into. The carjackings that happen during the day. The open-air drug markets that happen. The robberies. The businesses that have shut down again and again and again. AT&T. AT&T has shut down its flagship store in San Francisco. Why? Who the bloody hell is coming to San Francisco to buy themselves a phone? That's not how they say it, though. They say, and I'm quoting here, consumer shopping habits continue to change, and we're changing with them. That means serving customers where they are through the right mix of retail stores, digital channels, and our phone-based care team. Oh. Oh, oh, it's, it's, it's about the new way to shop. No, it's about the fact that nobody is downtown. It's about the fact that it's too scary to be downtown. It's too dangerous to be downtown. Westfield, major player in malls, shopping malls, turning to their lender $530 million note and saying, here you go. We're we're done here. We don't want to do this anymore. Park hotels and resorts. Having one of the biggest hotel centers in the world, because San Francisco was a major hub for conventions, saying, no thanks, we're good. Old Navy, Nordstrom, 
the amount of con- uh, of 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 not convenience stores, drug stores. I don't know why I always com- confuse dream- convenience store and drug store. I don't know why I do that. I should stop. All of this going away. You think this is COVID? This isn't COVID. You think that this is not people coming back to uh, to offices? I agree. People are not coming back to offices. This is a major league issue in cities all across the country. But one of the reasons people aren't coming back is that your city is unsafe. Take away that and what comes. What do you then build on? Yes, there's there's this this huge, huge thing going on where people don't want to go back to the office. And it's always funny when I talk about it because I haven't gone back to the office. I happen to be in studio today. I happen to actually be here today. Um, But no, I, I work from home and that started because of COVID. I went to CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference. Uh, This was 2020. And I came back. One person, one person at the Conservative Political Action Conference had COVID. And so uh, the the company here said, hey, why don't you you just work from home for the weekend? I'd already been building out a studio for TV and, and other things. And I never came back. And I figure between then and now, I have been here at the studios that exist in downtown Indianapolis 12 times? Really, really, in three years, 12 times is probably. And a few of those times were because we had a flood in the house and they were doing work and I had to get out of the house to do the show. So if it wasn't for a flood... I, I I wouldn't be down here at all. And so I admit that it's always fascinating when I'm the guy having this conversation. But my work is very, very binary. Is, is the show on the air? If the show is on the air, I'm doing my job. Are the ratings coming in? Well, thank goodness because of you, they come in very, very well and I greatly appreciate it. Without you, I'd have nothing. So thank you. For a lot of other employers, these people have been working from home. They're not actually working. And what are they paying for? They're not getting a result. And employees are getting angry, angry that they're being told you have to come back. Oh, they can't believe it. How dare you? What do you mean? What do you mean? How, how dare you? What, what's, what's that? It, they, it's their business. It's it's their business, and they want to make sure that people who they're paying to create more value are actually doing so. That's why you've got guys like Elon Musk and, and others saying you have to return to the office. You have to get back here. And they're right. More and more companies are saying it's time to return to the office. AT&T told 60,000 managers to return to the office. This from Business Insider, as the headline goes, forcing thousands to relocate or quit. What made you think this was always the way it was going to be? The New York Post has the same story about AT&T. 9,000 people relocated or resigned. 
Well, that's just weird, but okay. I mean, that's a real hesitation to, to, to come back. Forbes had a story about the return to office mandates. And somehow the point is being missed. What's the, I don't know what point is being missed. Business leaders insist on a return to the office, but we can't skip the steps necessary for the employee trust, innovation, and productivity we depend on. Hold on a second. Allow me to go the other way. The trust doesn't exist. And I'll give you a great example of why the trust doesn't exist. In the entirety of COVID, in the entirety of COVID, what is the percentage of employees working from home that called in sick? What is the totality of the number of people in any given day, week, month, or year that called in sick during COVID? I would put forth to you that that number approaches somewhere near zero. Meaning that when people were working from home, they didn't have to call in sick. They could bank all those sick days. They could bank this. They could bank that. They're working from home. None of it matters. It's all freebies that are going to cost the company huge down the line. And if they were supposed to work an eight-hour day and it was only six hours, who was going to really know? And if they took that extended lunch or or that Zoom meeting had to last a little longer because, you know, technology. What was actually getting accomplished? What was actually being created? What was the value to the business itself? When I pay you $10 an hour, I need to get at least $11 an hour worth of result. Otherwise, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I mean, I'm not being angry. It's just a fact. I know this. If if the, the, the stations pay me X, I got to replace that with X plus in order to make it valuable for them. So the trust, well, has the employee shown to be trustworthy? Innovation, I don't know how you, one would, would uh, categorize that. And productivity, well, that's a very simple one. Is the work getting done? Is the output there? It seems to me that the employers are saying the output isn't there. Forbes writes, NBC News recently reported on harsh mandates from major employers to return to the office, as well as employees' resistance to those measures, including an Amazon employee walkout. What is harsh about saying get back to the office? That you don't want to go back to the office? I... The whole harsh conversation, that's about emotions. Well, I've gotten used to working from home and I don't want to go back. But that employer has deemed that being back is better for the growth of the business, which pays you and therefore its ability to, 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 to grow matters greatly. So what is it that Forbes says that uh, employers are missing? Right? Three reasons return to office mandates are missing the point. Oh, you're going to love this. Are you sitting down? Do you have bourbon in front of you? You should have bourbon in front of you. Number one, rising incivility and the need for psychological safety. 
78% of frontline workers witness incivility at work at least once once a month, and 70% witness at least it at least two to three times a month. 78%, according to the Harvard Business Review in November of 2022, of frontline workers witness incivility at work at least once a month, and 70% witness it at least two to three times a month. That's funny because in my daily life, I witness it every day. And then the next day, I'm right here engaged in these conversations. According to Harvard professor Amy Edmondson, incivility is a serious risk to psychological safety. Quote, a shared belief held by members of a team that the team is safe for interpersonal risk-taking. That matters. Oh, we've got problems you don't even understand, son. No, wait, you totally understand them. You just can't believe the depth and the breadth of these issues. A study revealed that on-site employees are 66% more likely to feel like mistakes are held against them, 56% more likely to say that people are rejected for being different, and 36% more likely to find it difficult to ask teammates for help. Sounds like these people need to get some therapy. People make mistakes. It gets forgotten about. And it's possible that people might hold it against you. But that you feel like more people hold it against you when you're on site is because you don't see people giving you the old stink eye. Be better at your job. Or just accept the fact that sometimes you make a mistake and it's okay. Come back again and fight. 56% more likely to say that people are rejected for being different. This is... This is not a reason not to come to the office. You'll have to accept the fact that people are different than you. And you'll have to accept the fact that some people won't like you. They won't like you. It's okay. It's okay that they don't like you. You have to be stronger. You have to be stronger as a person. And these, this just first part, this rising incivility and the need for psychological safety. You need how to, 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 to learn how to deal with those who disagree with you. You need to learn to deal with those who you might have objection to. You're going to have to learn how to deal with confrontation because that's the real world. And keeping yourself isolated from it is the last thing in the world that should happen. Understanding you won't fall apart because someone disagrees with you. But if you tell people their thoughts matter, their feelings matter, they're allowed to act out upon their feelings, and if anybody should hurt their feelings or say something they feel is damaging, that other person should be destroyed, well, this is what you get. This is the kind of nonsense you get. And if I was the employer in this case, uh, you're not talking about bringing people back. You should be talking about how people should get fired. Because I don't think this is the kind of weak people is not what you want. Raise your kids to be resilient, and they will prosper And hopefully leave everybody else to learn and then be resilient themselves. Although some of them will decide to see, this is why you have to take care of me for forever. That's another story for another day. I'll post that Forbes story over at TonyKatz.com. You can read it for yourself and just lose your mind. This is Tony Katz today. The mayor of Miami... He's also a presidential candidate, Francis Suarez. He is uh, going down an interesting road. 
showing support for LGBTQ and transgender causes. That's how he's going to win the presidency. It is one thing to recognize that there are gay and lesbian conservatives out there, gay and lesbian Republicans out there. There are, and it's a plentiful number. And they don't often get a chance to speak out because they're told that if they do, they're traitors to the cause because the left has decided that LGBTQ are not people. It is a political movement. And there is no saying, hey, I'm not okay with the T, especially in children. The T and children, that does not belong together. What we're, ha- what we're doing in schools, how we're engaged with kids, this is weird. What's the deal with drag queens dancing in schools? This is very odd. This was not what Stonewall was all about. This is strange stuff. The mayor of Miami, he thinks that this is the way to go about the nomination. There's a big difference between recognizing gay Floridians, gay Americans, and making statements praising the transgender community. If the transgender community, you can feel the air quotes, wants parents not to be told what's going on with their kids in schools. So what argument is Suarez making here? And it's one that, of course, he needs to be questioned upon because if he's making the statement that, look, you live your life the way you see fit, I just want your vote and I want to do things to allow us to live our lives the way we see fit, that would be an argument. If he's making the argument that these children should be able to make their own choices, well, then that's disqualifying. And what they're going to say is you can't even ask the questions because asking the questions is a sign of the bigotry. Well, that's a that's a nice spin, but I'm not buying it. Find everything at TonyKatz.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.